Right, so a couple of weeks ago, I had the chance to uh, share with you, and I told you about how I had mentioned to Kyle that um, I had been interested in the subject of creation, and uh, I had taught it before, and lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, I got an email saying, hey, I'm going to be out of town, would you like to teach? And then he sent me another email and said, I'm actually going to be out of town on the 14th also, would you like, do you have a two-parter? So it just so happens. <laughs> so um, as you, uh, if you were here then, uh, you recall that I talked about the biblical case for creation. And um, I talked about going to see a film uh, put out by the Institute for Creation Research, ICR. This was back about 40 years ago. I was just a child. And, um, and that film really changed my perspective. And it got me interested in the topic, and it really reinforced my faith in the truth of Scripture. So let's look at a, a couple of verses. John 1, 1 to 3, this cropped up in my reading this week after I had already put it on the uh, schedule. And you may even be able to quote this from memory. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. That's John 1, 1 to 3. So Jesus pre-existed with God before anything was created, and he was the agent of creation. Colossians 1, verse 16. For by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And if we look at that, it talks about things that are visible and invisible. I believe that uh, he's talking about God created not just the material world that we see, but he also created the spiritual realm, angels and so forth. And then finally, Hebrews uh, 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Remember, God spoke and it happened. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now, I think the implication of that is when he created something, he didn't start with pre-existing material. You know, if I were a sculptor, which I'm not, but if I were a sculptor, I'd take some clay or some material, and I would start with that lump. And they say the way you make a, a, a statue or a sculpture is to take away anything that doesn't look like what you're trying to make. That never helped me. But God made things out of nothing. And uh, there's a term for that, creation ex nihilo, which means creation from nothing. And that term is only used of God. Whenever we make something, we might be a, a creative musician or artist or whatever, we take pre-existing materials and make it. But God created everything from things that are not seen. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a little bit about the history of evolution. Evolution is the attack on biblical creation, which is the attack on the word of God. And we talked about a number of things. One name was Charles Lyell. He latched onto that term, and, and it was a long term that we talked about, uniformitarianism. 
And if you remember, uniform, meaning the same, uniformitarianism is the belief that all things have always continued the same way they are, we see them now. The present is the key to the past. It's always been happening the same way. And because of that, Charles Lyell said, well, the Earth must be millions of years old then. And that was kind of a, a, a way to, uh, that's when that age of the Earth was popularized as being very, very old. Before that, people just kind of looked at the Bible. The Bible said, God created in six days. And that was the general belief. But Lyell um, pushed the idea of millions of years of age. And then along came Charles Darwin. And of course, we all know who Charles Darwin was. He had the theory of natural selection or survival of the fittest. And he latched onto this idea of uh, old ages, of Earth that was millions of years old. And all of a sudden, there's time for his theory of evolution to have happened. Maybe there were little changes and they evolved over time and, and you could take a simple one-celled creature and it could become a, a scientist. Um, that, that was his theory, right? But it didn't catch on right away. Um, and so for about, I don't know, 50 years or so, or, uh, it really didn't catch on that well. And then we talked about an event that happened in 1925, and that was the Scopes trial. Sometimes they call it the monkey trial. And in the Scopes trial, we talked about how um, there was a, a law that was passed that said you cannot teach evolution in the schools. This was in Tennessee. And the ACLU, that great organization, decided they wanted to test that uh, law and they found a substitute teacher who later admitted he had never taught evolution, but he agreed to uh, say that he had, and they tested that law. And the thing to remember about the, the Scopes trial, why do I even bring it up? It's because it marked a turning point when the, um, the lawyers questioned William Jennings Bryant. He was the prosecuting attorney. He was on the biblical side. But they asked him, well, do you believe in various elements of the Bible. You know, where did Cain get his wife? Do you believe in, you know, six-day literal creation, all these things? And Brian, even though he believed it, he couldn't really give an answer. He couldn't give an answer for the things he believed. We know the verse that Peter says, we should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us with gentleness and meekness. Brian was not gentle and meek. He gave a full-fledged answer, but he really couldn't explain anything. And that marked a turning point. Even though uh, they won the case, he was convicted of, of teaching evolution, was later overturned, but it kind of popularized evolution. But the other takeaway from that trial is very important. They offered a lot of evidences, so-called evidences, that proved, proved evolution such as the recapitulation theory. Remember that? We talked about that. That's the idea that uh, the embryo uh, during gestation period in the womb goes through the evolutionary phases before it becomes a baby. That was offered as an element of proof. Everybody knows that's not true today, but that was given as an evidence of evolution. They talked about Nebraska man, see there's the ape man, there's a transition between apes and man. Turns out that it was made from a pig's tooth. 
had nothing to do with evolution. They talked about Piltdown Man, another ape man skeleton. But Piltdown Man was later shown to be a hoax. It was an intentional fraud that somebody propagated. So all of the so-called scientific facts that were offered to prove evolution turned out not to be true at all. Now, they've changed, and there are other things that they use today. But at the time, that was the state of science, and the science was wrong. So I think that's a, a key principle to remember. The other thing we talked about was, is evolution science? What is science? Science is knowledge. And there's a scientific method, the idea that you have a theory or a hypothesis, you gather data, and then you test it. You repeat through controlled uh, conditions to see if your theory is true. Can you repeat evolution under controlled conditions? No, you can't. So there's no way to prove it scientifically. So evolution is not science. They operate from a, a set of assumptions. So it is merely a theory. It is not scientific fact. However, if you've been in the school system or had children in the school system anytime lately, it generally is taught as if it is fact. But it really is not. It's only a theory at best. So we talked about, well, is evolution compatible with the Bible? And we gave a number of evidences, and we talked through these. We won't go into detail. But just note that there is a clear distinction between what the Bible teaches and what evolution assumes or teaches. You know, evolution assumes there is no God. It is an undirected process. That's a tenet of evolution. Evolution says matter was eternal, not God. Clear distinction. You know, God says he intentionally created certain things, whereas evolution says everything happened by random chance. You know, they're completely different. The order of creation given in Genesis 1 is very different from what the evolutionist says. Um, the big one, six days of creation is taught in the Bible versus billions of years that evolution requires. Very different. And we talked about the biblical case for why when you read the text, the author of the text, when Moses wrote it, it's clear that he intended to say 24-hour days, normal 24-hour days. We talked about all of the Hebrew scholars that, yep, he intended to say 24-hour days, and then they proceed to say, but we know these other things outside the Bible uh, mean something different, so it must have been long ages. Uh, but the text says six days. What about the creation of man? Evolution says that man is just another animal, just more highly evolved. Whereas the Bible says God specifically created man in his own image and breathed in, into him the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Man is unique, uniquely created. And then, of course, the Bible says that God rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. The creation was finished. Evolution says everything is still happening today just like it always has. Very different. So from a biblical perspective, there is not a, 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 an overlap. They're, they're very different from each other. Now, there are four positions. We talked about these. 
four positions that you might take as a Christian regarding evolution. And the first three are just ways to kind of reconcile evolution with the Bible. We talked about theistic evolution, which kind of ignores the text altogether and uh, just says, yeah, evolution happened, and yeah, God kind of was involved somehow, but we don't know. It doesn't really fit the Bible. Day-age theory is an attempt that says, well, the six days of creation were really just long ages, and the evolution happened during those long ages. And we talked about how the Bible, uh, the text requires, the grammar in the text requires that they're really 24-hour days. The gap theory, popularized by the Schofield Reference Bible, I used the Schofield Reference Bible back in the day, uh, but it talked about a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And so it said, God created the heavens and the earth, and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and a gap of billions of years when evolution happened. And then everything was wiped away when Satan fell, and the earth became without form and void. And then God recreated in six literal days. That's the gap theory. And we've learned how the Bible specifically says in Exodus that for in six days, God created the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. It put the creation of heaven and earth within the six days of creation. So there's no room for a gap. Well, if those three are not really viable as an interpretation, what are we left with? We're left with the Bible means what it says. What a concept. But what does the theory of evolution, what, one of the big issues is the age of the earth. And this is the one that gets everybody. Says, the earth, you know, we know science has proven that the earth is so old. If you go to a museum of national history or parks or, or whatever, and there are all these signs up that say, well, this happened you know, so many million years ago, or we know the dinosaurs were here billions of years ago. Uh, so it's, it's just everywhere. But where do we get that? Well, one thing you've got to understand is the theory of evolution requires billions of years. Why does it require them? Because there's no evidence today that it's happening. Okay, so the only saving grace is that it must have been going on for billions of years. That's the only way it could have happened. But what gives us the idea that, is there any evidence that says uh, that it's old? Well, we can go to the World Book Encyclopedia. Now, in this room, we probably remember what the encyclopedia is, right? But we had a set of World Book Encyclopedias on the shelf, and you can go to, and I forget the exact uh, uh, edition of this, but uh, volume 7, page 364, it says, scientists determine when fossils were formed by finding out the age of the rocks in which they uh, lie. So you, if you know the age of the rocks and you find fossils in them, then you know the fossil must be that old. Okay, well, how do you know the age of the rocks? Well, you can turn over to volume 15, and they say, paleontology, which is the study of fossils, is important in the study of geology, the study of rocks. It says the age of rocks may be determined by the age of the fossils that are found in them. This is a classic case of circular reasoning. And, and those are word for word from the... In, World book. So there really isn't a basis there for it. But there is something, and that is radiometric dating. This is a general term, radiometric, so there's a radioactive element. And 
there's a parent element that is unstable, and it decays and be becomes a daughter element. Does it bother anybody that it's the parent that's unstable and the daughter is stable? I, just, just me. But that's what happens. There, there's a parent element and daughter element, and, and the parent decomposes into the daughter. And they can measure the amounts of these elements that are in the rock or the sample of whatever they're testing. And then they can use the half-life. What is the half-life? Well, the decay happens. Half of the parent element decays in a certain period of time. And then half again decays in that same period of time. So it's, it's not a, a, a straight-line rate, but it, but it is a rate. It, it's just uh, a half-life. That's how they measure it. And then using that, they can calculate how long the decay has been happening. So it, it's an interesting scientific approach. And I want to refer back to that, um, that uh, film series that I saw way back in the early 1980s. This is the topic they were talking about. Remember, I was a math and science student. And I, you know, I believe in science. I do. I did then. And I was concerned about radiometric dating because they give dates of billions of years. The film series addressed that. So I mentioned that I had taught this before. I taught a series, uh, a Sunday night series, and I wanted to address this topic. And of course, on Sunday night, you have a little more flexibility. The format's a little bit different. So uh, I decided to do a demonstration. So I put up um, uh, a measuring cup and I filled it um, halfway full with uh, Reese's Pieces, right? And I set the computer up to beep every minute. And every time the computer beeped, I reached in and grabbed one and ate it. And then I went on with the talk. Now this went on for a while, and finally somebody said, okay, what are you doing, what are you doing? <laughs> of course, that's what I was waiting for. And I said, well, can you tell how often I'm eating one of the Reese's Pieces? Said, yep, I timed it, it's every minute. Okay, great. Can you see how big the container is? You know, how much was, you know, how much would it hold? Yes, we can tell that. They said, well, can you use that rate and the size of the container? Can you tell me how long I've been doing this? I said, well, yeah, we could figure out the volume and how much of the volume's been emptied and so forth. We can figure out how long you've been there. Great. Well, unknown to them, I had made a video of the setup earlier that evening. So I showed the video. It showed me putting the, the measuring cup on the table. It showed me pouring in a bag of Reese's. No, that's not enough, so I put it in another bag. Still didn't fill it up. I said, well, that's all I have, so I'll just go with that. I wasn't able to fill it up. And then I set up the computer to beep. I put it for like every 10 or 15 seconds, and I couldn't chew the Reese's Pieces fast enough to talk about anything. So I slowed it down to every 30 seconds. That was still too fast. Then I slowed it down to every minute. And every minute it would beep. I'd eat one and go on with the talk. And then the video showed that my friend came in the room. He says, hey, Reese's Pieces, can I have some? So I grabbed a paper cup, scooped out a whole bunch, and gave it to him. What did that show? Radiometric dating is based on three assumptions. One, that you know the amount of the parent element that you started with. The bowl wasn't full when I started. They didn't know that. 
The other thing is the rate must have been constant. They didn't know that I had changed the rate of the beep. The rate wasn't necessarily constant. And that nothing outside, no outside force acted on the system. They didn't know I'd scooped out a whole bunch and given it to somebody. So the measurements that they made and the calculation they made did not give an exact answer for how long I had been doing that process. And there is scientific, good scientific evidence that shows that all three of these assumptions may be false. Would anything have happened in the past that might have affected this? Let's see, was there any great catastrophe or, or flood or anything like that that might have made a difference? Maybe. So radiometric dating is not um, that reliable. Well, how can you test it? How could you test to see if it gave correct ages? What if you had a rock and you knew when it formed? So going back to the early 80s, I was working on a project in the Seattle area. And first trip I flew in and looked out and you could see all the mountains, Mount Rainier and so forth, and you land. The second time I went out there, I saw Mount Rainier and another mountain looked like half of it was missing. You know which one that was? Mount St. Helens, that's right. And then in 1986, it actually erupted again. And it carved a canyon, so it put down all this sediment, and it carved a canyon through it in a day and a half, and it formed a whole bunch of rocks. So 10 years later, they took some of these rocks that were formed in 1986, and they said, let's do testing on them and see what the radiometric dating says. So they tested them. Guess how old they were? 350,000 years. <laughs> the same thing happened in New Zealand. They had some rocks that they knew were less than 50 years old. They tested them. They came out to be 3.5 million years old. When we know the dates of the ages of the rocks and test them, they don't give the right answer. Well, if they don't give the right answer for things that we know, how can we rely on it for something that we don't really know? So there are big flaws in radiometric dating. So it is not a foolproof uh, scientific method of calculating the age of the Earth. It just doesn't work. But you know, there are other things. When I was in geometry and later in logic and so forth, we learned about proofs. Remember proofs? I loved proofs. Carol thinks I'm weird, but um, one of the methods for proving a conclusion is to assume that it's not true. And then you go through your method and you look for a conflict. And if you get a conflict, then you say, well, maybe that assumption wasn't true. So the conclusion is true, in fact. You assume the conclusion is false, you find a conflict, and then you know the conclusion is true. Well, what if we assume uniformitarianism is true and use some other methods to measure the age? So one is erosion. You know, streams and rivers flow through the mountains and so forth, and they pick up uh, silt and sediment and so forth, and they carry it away. Well, could that have been going on for 4.3 billion years? That's the assumed age of the Earth. 
And the answer is actually no. In 10 million years, all of North America would be completely flat. So it couldn't have been going on for that long. Where does all of that silt go? It goes eventually to the oceans and becomes sediment in the ocean floor. Well, is there enough sediment on the ocean floor to have been going on for that long? No, there's just not enough for the billions of years. What about the magnetic field? Earth has a magnetic field, right? You can use a compass. And we can measure the strength of the magnetic field. And we can tell that the strength of that field is deteriorating. As a matter of fact, if you extrapolate back in time just 20,000 years, then the field would have been so strong that no life could have survived on Earth. So the magnetic field could not be more than 20,000 years old. Carbon decay. We talked about radiometric dating. How many of you have heard that carbon dating proves the Earth is billions of years old? Right? Well, there are two problems with that. One is the radiometric dating method itself, which we talked about. The other problem is the half-life of carbon is so short that it's not valid for more than a few thousand years. So all the carbon would be gone. You couldn't measure any, so you couldn't calculate the age of anything much older than that. So they found diamonds that they assume are about uh, one to three billion years old, and they can measure the carbon in it, and they date them to be 55,000 years. Why is there carbon there if they're really billions of years old? It should have all gone away. So another conflict. What about comets? Everybody loves Halley's Comet. Is it Halley's or Halley's? It's spelled Halley's, but anyway. Um, and these comets orbit the sun. And at some point, they're close to the sun. And the sun melts away some of the material from the comet. And it leaves this nice trail that you see when you can see it in the sky, right? Well, the problem is, every time it goes around the sun, it's going to deteriorate more and lose more of its material. And in uh, just a few million years, the whole comet would go away. So have the comet's been there for 4.3 billion years? No, couldn't have been doing it for that long. Well, the scientists come to the rescue and they say, well, gee, if it couldn't have been doing it for that long, they must be generating new comets someplace. So they've come up with this idea of an Oort cloud that creates the comets. Well, they've never seen this Oort cloud and they've never seen comets being created, but they just think it must be there. This is an interesting one. The moon is moving away. It was pretty big this week, if you looked up in the sky. But they've actually calculated the average distance to the moon, and it's moving away at about an inch and a half every year. Well, let's go back in time, if that rate was constant. If we go back in time, just 1.5 billion years ago, it would have been touching the Earth. Couldn't be. Can't happen. Remember, they say the Earth is 4.3 billion. Um, so these are conflicts. There are others. There's too much helium in the rocks. It should have all dissipated by now. Uh, the salt in the sea, even if you started with fresh water in the oceans, uh, the rate, they've measured the rate that uh, salt is being added to them. There's not enough salt in the sea to have been going on for that long. So if we assume uniformitarianism is true, all of these give conflicts. The Earth can't be as old as they say. What if the Earth were as old as the Bible says, which is about six to 10,000 years? No problem. No problem at all.
So, um, okay, so I'm tired of uniformitarianism. Are there other evidences? Well, I'm glad you asked. As we find fossils, they've actually found a T. rex fossil, and it has blood vessels in it. How long do they say dinosaurs have been extinct? Billions of years, right? How could there be soft tissue, blood vessels, still in the fossils? By the way, I, I was asked a question after the lesson last time, where do dinosaurs fit in the Bible? Well, most of the dinosaurs were land animals. When did God create land animals? Day six, along with man. So I believe God created the dinosaurs on day six, and they lived with man. Is there any evidence they lived with man? Okay, so Job, there are also drawings and carvings that show man and dinosaur-looking creatures. Is the word dinosaur in the Bible? No. Why is that? Well, dinosaur wasn't even coined as a term until the 1800s. And, you know, our King James Version came around in 1600 and something. So uh, we don't use, see that term in the Bible. But Job speaks of two creatures that are quite interesting. Leviathan, and if you look at the description of Leviathan, there's a sea creature that breathes fire. It sounds like a dragon, maybe a dinosaur. What about behemoth? Behemoth is huge and strong, and, and nobody can tame it and all this kind of stuff. And you look in the notes, and it says, could be an elephant or a hippo. And then you say, well, wait a minute. The description says his tail is like a cedar. That doesn't really fit, does it? although it does fit some description of dinosaurs. I think that Job, uh, Behemoth, and Leviathan may be referring to uh, some form of dinosaur. Well, what happened to them? Well, we think of the big dinosaurs, but they weren't all huge. The average size of dinosaur was more like the size of a sheep. And besides, uh, when Noah went on the ark, he could have taken young animals. They went, didn't have to be fully grown. So I believe dinosaurs were on the ark. And I believe shortly after the flood, they probably died out. Why would they have died out? Well, if you remember, before the flood, people lived hundreds and hundreds of years, almost a 1,000. After the flood, the lifespan started shortening. And I believe that the environment changed considerably. And I believe that that caused the dinosaurs to die out and become extinct. But we do have lots of records, secular records, that refer to some beings that are creatures that seem like they might be dinosaurs. Anyway, um, what about DNA? It's kind of like the soft tissue. They found a salt crystal they think was billions of years old. Um, inside it, they found a bacteria. Well, that bacteria shouldn't have survived. They actually call it the Lazarus bacteria because it came, it's still there. And uh, in that bacteria, they were able to grab the DNA from it. Couldn't possibly have survived billions of years. Um, what about the fossil record? That's another proof that people will say, see, the fossil record proves the Earth is billions of years. But it's interesting. When Darwin came up with his theory, he knew there was a problem. And the problem was, and he wrote about this, the fossil record doesn't back up my theory. Because his theory was a smooth transition from simple forms to complex forms. And he thought the fossil record should show that smooth transition. But he knew it didn't. It showed 
certain species and then an abrupt appearance of other species and an abrupt appearance of other species. It didn't show a smooth transition. So he said, look, as we go forward, as we find more fossils, we're gonna fill in the gaps. But if we don't, we have to abandon my theory. Guess what? Those missing links are still missing. So the fossil record does not back up evolution. Second law of thermodynamics, if you've had a teenager and you looked at their room, did it tend to get more messy or less messy, right? Second law of thermodynamics says the amount of disorder will increase. Evolution says we went from simple forms to more complex forms. The Bible says that man sinned and God cursed creation and things have been wearing down ever since. The second law of thermodynamics specifically reflects the biblical view of that. There are bent rock layers, several feet thick rock, solid rock, and they're bent uniformly. How could they have happened if they were laid down gradually over millions of years? How could you bend them all at the same time without breaking? You can't. But human DNA, this is a more recent discovery as they've been investigating DNA. They, uh, so some years ago, they came up with mitochondrial DNA, which is DNA that's inherited from the mother. And they've been able to trace back, they've taken samples of DNA from different people groups all over the world, and they've been able to follow the ancestry back through the DNA lineage. Guess what they found? Everybody on Earth has descended from one woman. Isn't that fascinating? Well, they've also found more recently the Y chromosome DNA. Y chromosomes been inherited from the father. So they've done the same samples all over the world, different people groups, and they go back through the, the line uh, of men through history, and guess what they found? Everybody on Earth has descended from one man. And furthermore, they found that that man and that woman lived at the same time. Now, in evolution, they say, yeah, so all of the others just must have died out, and they're the only line that survived. That's a little weak in my view. But, um, but it really does point to a biblical Adam and Eve. This is very important. We all descended from Adam and Eve. The Bible teaches that. The DNA backs that up. What does that mean? It means that when Adam sinned, we all inherited that sin nature. But if you believe the Darwinian theory of evolution, then it leads to other implications. About 100 years ago, there was a, a national leader that rose to power, and he bought into Darwinian evolution completely. Running out of time here. Um, and he decided that he was going to help uh, evolution along the way. He was going to get rid of the ones that weren't fit, the you know, crippled, the handicapped, those Jews. You know, he, he, those weren't fully evolved. He was going to get rid of those and help evolution on the way and preserve his Aryan race. Of course, we're talking about Hitler. He did that because of his belief in Darwinian evolution. There was somebody else about the same time, and she had the same idea. Let's get rid of the infirm. Let's not let those propagate uh, from the less evolved races. 
Her name was Margaret Sanger, and she founded Planned Parenthood. And she specifically targeted minority communities and others because she was trying to preserve what she thought was a favored race. Racism came from Darwinian evolution. We are all descended from Adam and Eve. We are all one race. We're the same. And, and the DNA proves that. Well, let, let's uh, move on. So distant starlight, we ought to talk about this. This is a, a difficult issue. The issue is that the speed of light we can measure is 186,000 miles per second. That's pretty fast. Uh, some galaxies are billions of light years away. Now, a light year is the distance, light year is a distance, that light travels in a year. And so we measure these vast dif- distances using light years. And the idea is if these uh, galaxies are billions of light years away, then the light from those galaxies would take billions of years to get here. So that's the issue. And since it would take that long, then it must be that old, right? Well, there's several possible solutions. Uh, I'll just list a couple. Uh, One is the appearance of age. Now, this was the first one that was proposed. Maybe God made the light in transit. Uh, There's some problems with that theory, but it was uh, a viable alternative. Uh, the, The idea behind that is that when God brought all the animals to Adam and said, name them, how old was Adam? Less than a day because they were both made on day six, right? How old did he look? He was probably a mature man, right? So you would think that he was probably 20, 25, something like that. But in actuality, he was less than a day old. So there's some reason that maybe that happened, God created with the appearance of age. Um, That's not one of the more likely uh, solutions, but it's a possibility. Well, what if the speed of light is not always the same? What if it was faster in the past, right? What if it travels at a different rate in deep space through the vacuum of deep space, okay? What if it doesn't travel the same speed in all directions? These are things we have not been able to measure at this time, and they're all possibilities. And then this one will hurt your head if you think about it for too long, but Einstein's theory of relativity, uh, time progresses faster in deep space, And so maybe even though only a day passed on Earth, there's been enough time in deep space for the light to travel. Who knows? Um, There there are several uh, theories. There's a lot of work being done on this. But let me just point out that in Genesis, God says, this is verse 14, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and it was so he made the sun and the moon and the stars for a particular purpose to give light on the earth to give us a measure of a year of a day if he created them and then waited billions of years for the light to arrive they wouldn't have served their purpose the bible says it was so so however he did it He developed them for a purpose, and they fulfilled that purpose. But it's interesting, evolution actually has the same problem. The theory of evolution says that the galaxy was created, the Big Bang happened 14, some 14 billion years ago. But the universe is 156 
uh, billion light years wide. And the, the heat, you know, the light couldn't have reached from one side of the galaxy to the other. So the heat could not have come up with a uniform uh, measurement of heat throughout the galaxy. There would be pockets of heat and pockets of cold. But when they measure it, it's uniform. So evolution has the same problem. There's not been enough time, even in the evolutionary time frame, for the galaxy to come up with uniform temperature. So um, this is not uh, really an issue. It's, we're doing more research in it, um, but uh, we can be confident that the Bible will come out as true. Look, in the Bible, they talk about Moses parting the Red Sea. They walked through on dry ground with the water walls around them. Did that happen? Can you prove it scientifically? I don't think so. The Bible says that Jesus was born of a virgin. Can that happen? Can you prove it scientifically? No. Can you turn water into wine? Can you feed multitudes with a few loaves and fish? Can you walk on water? Can you rise from the dead after three days? The Bible talks about a number of miracles, and I believe that they happened. Science would tell me that they could not happen, but I think they're true nonetheless. I think that God can enter into our universe and he can perform miracles. I think that... Um, there's, there's a lot of research being done on this. I'll just go through this quickly. One organization is Answers in Genesis. Uh, they're in Kentucky near Cincinnati. Uh, Ken Ham is the leader of that. He's an Australian. And he, they've got the Creation Museum and the Life Size Ark. So I encourage you to see that. The Institute for Creation Research is here in Dallas. They've moved to Dallas. And um, they have the Discovery Center, which is a museum. That's a great resource. I encourage you to go see that. Look, I believe that creation was a miracle. I believe that God created all that is in it in six days. I believe that he created man from the dust. I believe that man sinned, just like it said in Genesis, and the result of that sin was death. I believe that God judged the world through, by sending a flood, a universal flood, and he promised he would never do that again by giving us the rainbow as a sign. We've had a lot of local floods, but never a global flood. He's never broken his promise. The biblical account is scientific. The things we see around us fit the biblical description. They're scriptural, and they make sense scientifically. But you know, the greatest miracle was not creation. I believe that was the second greatest. The greatest miracle was when God himself became a man. He lived a sinless life. He voluntarily went to the cross. He died for our sins, and then he rose from the dead. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to redeem sinful man. If God is willing to do that for us, is it such a big thing that he created the universe in six days? I don't think so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of Scripture. We thank you for the revelation that you've given us. And we pray that we would have confidence.
to believe uh, in you and in your word and that we might uh, go forth and live uh, in the truth that you have given us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.